Another 0-3 start to the season. Sunday's 17-14 Giants loss was unacceptable. Is it time to fire Jason Garrett? We look back at another devastating last-second loss on Eli Manning Day. The brutal big blue injuries, and where exactly do the Giants go from here? Our special guest this week was the kicker that preceded me with the Giants. He's now an analyst for CBS Sports. It's Jay Feely. So knock over your nearest garbage can and join us for an 0-3 edition of Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome back to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Rate us, review us, five stars on Apple Podcast. Joining Blue Rush a little bit later on will be the kicker that preceded our host as kicker of the Giants. He's an analyst on CBS Sports. He does a great job there analyzing the NFL and special teams. That would be Jay Feely. But first, we welcome in the host of Blue Rush this season, two-time Super Bowl champion kicker Lawrence Tynes and New York Giants beat writer for the New York Post, Paul Schwartz. Guys, 0-3. It felt like a funeral leaving MetLife Stadium on Sunday on Eli Manning Day. Another last-second loss on a field goal. Me and Sarah McCroy were there. Paul was in the press box. Lawrence was at home throwing things at his TV. Just a brutal showing and an 0-3 start and a lot of questions that need to be answered, guys, going into week four against the Saints. Oh, where do we start? Lawrence, um, let me ask you something. I'm not an expert on this. When it when it has your name in like football reference, what does the PK after your name mean? Place kicker. Okay, so that that was the position you played, right? So you That you, is you, the position I played. Okay, so you made a living kicking the football, kickoffs and field goals and things like that, right? I did. What was your range with the garbage can? The, the garbage, garbage can. can kick, yeah. What, what were you about? Good from like uh, 10, 15 feet? Maybe, yeah. Well, that's what happened in the press box after the game. As Jake said, you know, I mean, just an indescribable loss, but it's not indescribable because um, we've described it so many times in the last few years, um, you know, Somebody kicked over the garbage cans, Made it might have punched them, but I think kicked them. Uh, probably was John Mara, whose MO is um, to get a little ticked off and do things like that, pound uh, press tables or throw chairs in, uh, in the past. Giant fans all over were kicking and throwing things, right, Lawrence? I mean, they, they've seen this too much. Way too much on a very special day honoring Eli Manning. I thought there was some pulse there in the second half. But again, the mistakes and the penalties and not being able to make plays when it counts. The drop by Dory Jackson in the end zone seals the game. I'm not going to say it's an easy interception, but it's one of the easier interceptions he will ever have the opportunity to make in the NFL. You know, our red zone woes, they keep popping up. I did kind of a deep dive last night. If you look at this Giants offense, and Jason Garrett will talk about, the red zone woes are atrocious. I mean, we're one, one for three against Denver, one for three against Washington, one for three against Atlanta. You know, it looks like we're moving the balls decently well in between there, but if you can't score in a red zone, zone, you're not going to win in the NFL. You've got to score touchdowns. And the Giants are just almost incapable of doing anything down there uh, because of the play calling. I think the play calling is so vanilla. There's no creativity down there. You've got Rudolph. You've got some big targets. I haven't seen really maybe one shot all year to a big target down there. So that's something they're going to have to fix if they want to, you know, at least put together a decent season. Their, Their red zone offense is terrible. I don't think any football team you've been on, you know, made a change like that after three games. Um, you know, you know what fans are. They got to fire Jason Garrett now, right? They got to fire him now. Okay, so you're in the locker room. You know, you 
didn't play offense, but you you were in all those meetings. You know, you, you, you're in your special teams meeting. You know what goes on in there. Let's say they do that, okay, which I don't think they would do now after three games. It's his offense. It's his playbook. You have Freddie Kitchens, who's been a head coach and a play caller in the NFL. He's, you know, he's on the staff. So what would happen, you know, if the fans get their, their blame going, their blood is boiling and, and they and the, John Mara comes out and says, okay, this is it. Jason Garrett's fired. Freddie Kitchens will be the new offense coordinator. What happens now in the building starting Monday, starting Tuesday, starting Wednesday? In terms of players, what, what's the reaction? Well, what, what happens? I mean, literally what happens with the playbook, with the game plan? Well, Freddie, like, Freddie called a game last year when Jason had COVID, I believe. Yep. They are familiar with him. To me, I just think Freddie Kitchens is a more current play caller. Jason Garrett is so old school in the way he dresses up plays, the way he actually doesn't dress up plays because they just line up and play. But having said that, Freddie Kitchens is is just kind of the, he's the backup quarterback, right? We all want to go to the backup quarterback. I think something needs to happen to keep fans invested. And if he wants people to come to that stadium, and that's what John Mayer is all about, is putting butts in the seats, you're going to have to make a change. If they don't fire Jason Garrett this week, you're going to see a very, very, they're already an angry fan base. I mean, you can just see that all over social media and watching the game yesterday. I mean, people leaving the stadium early on Eli Manning day that shouldn't happen I, I think it needs to happen I'm, I'm a I'm a proponent of removing Jason Garrett from play calling this is not just three games Paul this is 19 games you say three games it is three this year but add in the whole book of work and no, you're right if, yes if he was a player if he was a player he would have been cut or he would have been benched right so we got to start holding these coaches to the same standards mm-hmm. and and maybe listen it's tough I know he's a nice guy they all like him sure he's a great guy but this is a performance-based business. His offense has not produced. And so you move on and try the next guy. That's just pro football. His offense will still be there in the game plan. You cannot fire him, but give Freddie Kitchen the play calling, right? I mean, you know, you know that, that is something you can do. I think Freddie can dress it up. I think Freddie can add some nuances to it and maybe put – I think personnel too, though, Paul. Like, I mean, where the hell was Caden Smith yesterday? Where's he at? I know you like Caden Smith a lot. I love I him. I love I what he does. He's a great blocker. He, he will get open. He will not fumble the football. He will make a contested catch. Um, Rudolph is invisible. We paid him a decent amount of money. Evan Ingram had a fumble yesterday. That's our missing spot, the tight end spot. I feel like if we could get any kind of consistent production out of that position, we would be much, much better on offense. I agree with Lawrence and Garrett, and you, you mentioned the fans leaving. Fans left in a tie game. I don't know if I've ever seen that. As they approached you know, the red zone, it was going to be an easier kick. Me and Sarah were looking around and. Literally, everyone was leaving to beat traffic in a tie game. They just saw the inevitable coming. And then Ingram, I mean, as he runs off the field, the loudest cheers of the day were Evan Ingram leaving the field. Your tight end leaves the field, and the crowd gives him a standing ovation for leaving. It's a weird situation out there at MetLife right now. He's not Evan Ingram. He's Evan Embodiment right now. That's what I'm going to call him. He is the embodiment of all the Giants' failure the last four or five years. And it's not fair, but I'm a guy who likes to defend Evan Ingram because I know him and I like him and I think he's a good guy and I think he has talent but when he makes a season debut after sitting out for two games with a calf injury and the second time he touches the ball he fumbles it you know you can't you know there's there's no defense of that you know what I mean you can't say well he didn't mean to fumble it but I understand that but you can't do that. So, um, I mean, the Giants play now in New Orleans and in Dallas. So he will not have to play at home f- for three weeks. If, if something between now and then doesn't change, you know, it is not, it might not be feasible to have Evan Ingram on the field at a home game. You know, it, it really isn't. And if that's the case, then he he, he really can't be around. So it, it, look, it's totally mental with Evan Ingram. There's no question, you know, he, he can play. I mean, he's not the reason for all this, but he is a, he is the embodiment of all this losing. You know, I mean, 
somebody asked me the other day, well, why not Sterling Shepard? I mean, Sterling Shepard's been around just as long and, and lost just as long. Sterling Shepard's a better player, doesn't make those kind of mistakes. But so Evan Ingram, it's all, you know, I covered the Knicks when Charles Smith, remember Charles Smith, when he, he went up four times, five times, and got blocked by Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan in the playoffs. He was a good player. He came to the Giants. He became to embody everything that was wrong with the Knicks then, you know, and that's the way it is with Evan Ingram. And he needs to go elsewhere in his career to maybe harness some of that talent. I agree. Paul, that's that's a great point. It's tough when you get booed. I've been booed not as long as Evan Ingram has. It feels like he is just like the whipping boy of Giants Nation. He is talented. A fresh start would do him a ton of good. It wouldn't shock me at all if, if Evan goes on to play in like five Pro Bowls, maybe an all-pro team, if he leaves. He needs a fresh start. Mentally, these fans are they are relentless. They're not going to let up. I don't think he could ever reverse what they feel. I don't care how well he plays. Hopefully he plays well, and they need to move him. They need to somehow move him before the trade deadline and get whatever the hell they can get for him. You'll be fine with Caden Smith. You'll be fine with Rudolph. But I just think Evan Ingram, like you said, Paul, we all like him. He's a great guy, great human being, great teammate. The locker room likes him. He just needs to move on. Yeah. I I don't ever like to see uh, someone getting cheered because they came off the field. I mean, but that's New York and deservedly so. I mean, he he has caused a lot of anger. for some of the boneheaded plays that he's made just in the last year in three games. Now, because because who you are, I want to ask you about two punts in this game, okay? Two punts, because mm-hmm. you, you're, you're close to the punting situation, right? Um, it's 7-6. It's the uh, midway through the third quarter. The Giants have a fourth and four on the 39-yard line, right? The uh, Atlanta 39-yard line. Um, there's a, on third and three, uh, uh, Daniel Jones throws incomplete. There's a hold on Ben Brown. Bredesen, which is declined, and the Giants punted away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can try, what, a 55 or a 56-yard field goal there? Is that about right, Lawrence? 57. That's a tough kick. That that was that was a big right-to-left win yesterday. I saw a bunch of kicks mm-hmm. moving, heading into that. That was the west end zone? Is yeah. West-ish? You can go for it then, too, right? You can just go for the first down also. You can, yeah. but kicking the other way, I've always thought was more difficult, you know, kicking towards the city. But that field goal would have been – I just don't like that kick there. Okay. that's. I don't that, like it. Not in the third quarter, no. Okay. Now, with two minutes to go, it's 14-14. It's, uh, I think, fourth and nine. Uh, the Giants are at midfield. They've stalled, of course, and um, they have to punt it. You know, they have to punt it away, right? When you yeah. punt from midfield, your punter cannot put the ball in the end zone, correct? Cannot do it. Losing football, right? I mean, you know – Losing football. You can't do it. Yeah. There's a bunch of plays, right? And that, I yelled whenever that happened. So did my son. He knows better than that, not to hit a touchback. You just can't have a t- 15 yard line's great. 17, yeah. but not yeah. the 20. Riley Dixon had a pretty good, decent game, but you got to come in. And it's, again, it's the same old mistakes. The Giants cannot finish football games. You know, if you think about offsides, not offsides, we've debated it at nauseum last week. Dexter Lawrence, they lose by one point. It's one play. I know they say it's not one play, but it is. You got to make plays in crunch time. Adore Jackson has to come down with that pick. Logan Ryan can't get called for pass interference down there in the end zone right after that to give him a fresh set of downs. I kind of went through the roster last night and I was looking. It's only three games into the season and Lawrence Tynes is going through the I'm roster. I'm not making any personnel decisions. This I'm is just, a bad This sign. is for my, for, I like, I think of random stuff. And I, I was thinking, how many guys on this team have played winning football? And I believe there's 10, Paul. There's 10 players on this team. Not one of them, obviously, was drafted was by, drafted by yeah. the Giants. Mm-hmm. They've all been brought in. Rudolph, Logan Ryan, Solder, some of these guys. Not one single player that the Giants drafted or brought in via undrafted free agency knows what it's like to win. The longest tenure player is Sterling Shepard. And it's shocking. I mean, it's really – and even some of the guys they brought in, I mean, their records are – 
right around 500. You've just got a locker room full of guys who don't know how to win in the NFL. You have to learn how to win in the NFL. It's not easy. And it's a couple of plays here and there every week. It's it's two minute, it's red zone, four minute offense, turnovers we know are big and penalties. And talking about penalties, my God. I do think the Giants got squeezed yesterday. The one on Gary Brightwell on special teams was an absolute joke. Okay. That guy was still in bounds. Now there was some yes, other he bonehead was. plays. He was. McKin- His feet were in bounds, yes. Yeah, McKinney's was whatever you want to call it, but that's today's NFL. They're 0-3, and, and you can point at a lot of different reasons why they're 0-3. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a tremendous amount of reasons. It, it's really remarkable. Now, five snaps into the game, you know, there's a short pass to Cordell Patterson on the sideline, and you just saw it right Blake Martinez got juked out yep. and he went down non-contact that second I'm like oh my god that's probably an ACL and mm-hmm. it was classic ACL got helped off it's an ACL uh it later in the first half Sterling Shepard hamstring Darius Slayton hamstring you know that Lawrence when it says wide receiver hamstring it's what two weeks three weeks a month man that's it could be yeah I mean look it's, at Galladay in preseason I do feel like the offense changed a little bit when those two guys obviously went out I mean obviously a lot of the game plan was built around those two and and, and I feel horrible for Blake. I mean, the defense is going to miss him. He's a leader on that side of the football. He's a captain, friend of the show. So you just wish him a speedy recovery. And we're going to see your boy Johnson now. You were tweeting about you love this guy Johnson, the receiver. Colin. So Colin we're, going Johnson. See, we're going to see a lot of him for the next month. He's like Dominic Hickson 2.0. Yeah, I saw that. I'm not so sure about that. But um, it, 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 look, it's you know adding insult to injury. Now, look. They drafted a guy in the first round, right? Kadarius Tony had 46 snaps in that game. Mm. 46 snaps. That's 66% of the snaps. He caught passes on consecutive plays. He wasn't seen again. Now, I don't think that's because they're not looking at him. I think that's because he is not acclimated to the NFL game yet. You know, what's yeah. your sense on that? Yeah. I think even just those two catches, I think Giants fans got a mm-hmm. glimpse, right? There dying, was a little... dying to see him put his foot in the ground. But yeah. there was a little bit of wiggle. Yes. There was a little suddenness yeah. that he brought. And you just hope that, you know, listen, I think it's almost going to force the Giants' hand to maybe feature him a little bit more this coming week in New Orleans. And if he can dive into the playbook, I would love to see more of him for sure. I want to talk about the defense a little bit, Paul, because I think they kind of, I, I saw some of your guys' line of questioning post game. They answered them and why can't you get off the field? Why can't you stop a two minute? Is this defense overrated? Yeah, I mean, you guys were looking to pull something out of one of them. They didn't bite. I thought the defense, for the most part, when you give up 14 points, you know, give up 17, that's a winning performance, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yes, yes. I mean, I I think, you know, you've seen on on the the chalkboards, right? You know, they always list the goals. I think the goals for almost every defense is 17 points or less, right? Would we consider Tampa a good team, good defense? Terrific, yeah. 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 Well, Atlanta scored 25 against them. Yeah. No, it, it, it's true. Look, this this uh, so, is this is this is the the problem. Last week the Giants scored 29. Mm-hmm. All they yep. have to do is give up 28 and they win. They give up 30. Uh, you know, this game all the Giants had to score was 18. I know. And they score 14. Joe Judge liked to say, you know, everything you have to work in concert. It's complimentary football. You know, I don't know what kind of compliments he's used to, but these are not compliments. You know, these are, these are like walking in saying yeah. you're ugly and you I, smell. You know, those are the kind of compliments the Giants I thought the right defense was, was fine. I, th- I really did. I thought well, they you know, got after Matt Ryan a little bit. They Not when they needed to be. I get it. But overall, when you only give up 17 points, that's a winning performance. Well, we mentioned Riley Dixon's punt to the 20, right? Does the first play have to be a 28-yard catch and run? It doesn't. No. And then there's their now, – now, Logan Ryan said, oh, that was a great play call against the defense we were in. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Pat him on the back. 
terrific. You know, what I mean, I mean that that's fine. Logan Ryan was was he's he's a team leader. He's a good guy. But you know, when he was asked about the game yesterday, you know, where do we go from here? He said, "Where do we go from here? We keep on trucking." And then he goes into this. Okay, I check my phone. I don't get many texts when we lose. People know not to talk to me. But he said, "Look, I see the Chiefs lose a game and nail bother. They lose a touchdown with 30 seconds left, and they're one and two. I see the Ravens have to kick a 66-yard field goal to beat the Lions. That's the nature of the game." And I'm like, my BS meter is just flying because how can anybody talk about the Giants and mention the Chiefs and mention the Ravens in the same sentence? I mean, he comes from winning programs. He forgets where he is right now. I don't want to call any pro football player losers. I'm not saying that. But this team doesn't know how to win. So whatever you want to translate that into, this Giants football team since 2017 has no idea how to win or how to finish a football 18 game. 18 and 49 tied with the Jets for the worst record. It's there you go. And so Joe Judge for Mr. They're not even the worst team in New York. What are we bitching about? They're not even the worst team in New York. Well, listen, the honeymoon's over for, for Joe Judge and he's going to have to start answering some pointed questions from you guys. And I hope he, I hope you guys give it to him because the work thing, I get all that. We all know you're going to go back to work. We all know you're going to do, but give us something like, tell us, you know, maybe that you're working on this or you're firing this guy. The honeymoon's over. Let's just call it what it is. It's over. I can't disagree with that. It's about to get very difficult as we know with the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And right. This was the quote unquote softer opening for the giants. Uh, People said two and one, you know, Mm, people said three and oh, which was not going to happen. Look, if they just close out that game yesterday and they're one and two, are we thinking gangbusters they're going to make the playoffs? No, but they've no. they've staved it off for another week. You know, they 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 the Lions are still back in the cage for another week, and they're one and two, and and you know they're not out of anything. What what do you make of Saquon saying? I don't think we're a bad team, to be honest. I know what you guys are going to say. I know what you're going to write. But this is the NFL. There are no bad teams in the NFL. He said, we're not a bad team. We just have to believe in ourselves and learn how to win. God bless Saquon, right? He's doing the best he can to try to get back from his knee injury and try to hold the team together. But do you want to be sarcastic with him? I mean, of course, they are a bad team. Yeah, and they are. You know, he looked slowly better, incrementally better. You know, he's still not there, which is understandable. But yeah, uh, these next three weeks, I hope the hell they win at least a couple games because I know when I come up there for the Rams game, that's uh, anniversary time again. (laughs) Man. And they better not, you know, show John Mara because that guy got booed off the field during Eli's ceremony. I mean, it was yeah. raining booze on him to the point. I think it was Eli or someone was telling the crowd to quiet down. Yeah, Eli. Like, I saw that. I saw yeah. Eli. Was, was, doing it, was, it, the, was it Eli, yeah. Paul? Yeah. Eli was kind of, you know, you know, like uh, at the line of scrimmage, telling the the team, you know, telling the fans to, to be quiet. You know, you can tell Eli was very uncomfortable doing that. You know, it's his big day. Look, what did we say on our earlier podcast? Just can the Giants get out of their way for two minutes and go into halftime of Eli Manning Day against the Falcons on an upswing, right? Winning the game, looking good. So the building is happy. The Giants got booed off the field after they took a knee, losing 7-6. So it was ugly already. You know, if the Giants are winning and looking good, John Maris still gets booed, but, you know, things aren't riled up, right, Jack? You were there. Things aren't riled up to the point where, you know, the, the, the match is already lit, you know, and now it's just, you know, John Maris, the kerosene. It was bad, but, you know, look, John Maris doesn't have to face the music every day. He doesn't stand in front of 80,000 people every day. You know, Evan Ingram does. That's why he gets booed like that. There was so much life going to that. The tailgates, the, the beers were flowing, the White Claws were going, the shots of tequila were going, everyone was going crazy. 
And then everything came down after. And Eli, he was right. He told us, what, 40 seconds he would talk. It was may- maybe under. <laughs> I might have took the under. It might have been like 32 seconds. His speech was short. It was emotional. Sarah was, Sarah, you cried a little bit. You had, you had some tears. Oh, my falling. God. Yeah, the tears were falling. <laughs> yeah, she was she was getting emotional. I was getting, there was someone cutting onions in the building. Um, and then they cut onions at the end of the game when the Giants lost again. But it was a packed house. It was fun, but uh, demoralizing. By the way, that's a no cojones move by, by Joe Judge not to kick that field goal. I don't care if there was a little bit of wind. 56, Graham Gano's done it before. 57. You know, he's been there. 57. 56, 57. He's made that before, Lawrence. Come uh, he, on. Listen, he has. That. But I, I'm just telling you, at that point in the game, I, I think it's a. I, I don't think you kick it. Seven six, you give Atlanta the ball right there. No so way. then go for it. It was what fourth and three. It was like a couple of yards. I mean, you're gaining thirty eight yards tops if the punter gets it to the one yard line. Otherwise, it's going to the twenty, and you're getting nineteen yards of field position out of it. I thought that was for an zero and two team that needs to make a statement. I would have won. That actually was a very good kick by Riley Dixon that crossing down on the five yard line. So that was a good teams working in unison. Um, at this point, with the Giants and Joe Judge, you know everything they do is wrong. And until they get out of this spiral, when they kick it, it's a bad move. When they don't kick it, it's the bad move. When you you know give it to your defense, they let up the touchdown. When you try to do the offense, you get a penalty. It's why people kick garbage cans. We won't kick garbage cans with former Giants kicker Jay Feely next on Blue Rush. Joining us now is another former Giants kicker. In fact, he handed the keys to our own Lawrence Tides. He kicked for Big Blue in 2005 and 2006, where he's a pro bowler in 2005. He also kicked for the Jets in 08 and 09 and spent 14 seasons in the NFL for the Falcons, Giants, Dolphins, Chiefs, Jets, and Cardinals, making 332 field goals in his career. He's now a terrific CBS Sports NFL analyst. Let's give a warm Blue Rush welcome to the pride of Odessa, Florida, at the University of Michigan, Jay Feely. Jay, it's Jake Brown, Lawrence Tynes, and Paul Schwartz. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. I should have stayed in New York with the Giants. I went to Miami. We went 1-15, and Lawrence won the Super Bowl. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, how did that work? Because you signed a three-year deal. The third year turned into Lawrence's first year, which became a Super Bowl. Do you you regret not being there? That was a good call by me. I, I had a clause that if I led the league in certain categories, I could void that third year, and so we did. And then I went to Miami, and uh, you know, I just wanted Lawrence to be able to go and win a couple Super Bowls. So, and, so kind, you know, it was so kind. Yeah, I'm, I'm a thoughtful man. <laughs> Jay was thinking about sunshine and kicking on nice grass, getting out of New York. Jay, it's Paul Schwartz. Were you thinking how nice you were to Lawrence Tynes and how you'd like to be in his spot in uh, that championship game on January 20th when it's minus 23 degree wind chill and you're thinking, you know, you got to line up for a 47-yard field goal and kick a frozen rock at Lambeau Field? At that point, were you wishing you were Lawrence Tynes? When Lawrence missed the kick early and I saw Tom Coughlin's face, I was like, I know that face. <laughs> I, re- I remember, I remember, I think it was my first year. I think I made like my first 18 field goals with them and I missed a kick and I came to the sideline and Tom's like standing there with that exact face. And he looked at me and he's like, that was a big kick. I was like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, he, I wish he, you had told me that before I went out there. I, I would have made it then. Hey, hey, Jay, there was a, it was a really cool day yesterday for kickers. Mason Crosby, Justin uh, Tucker. But I want to talk about the kick six in Jacksonville because you were, you were actually part of the very first one, I think, with Devin Hester, right? With the, you know, after that game, everyone started putting returners back in the end zone when, the, when teams would kick long field goals. I mean, that was the first one. Matt Prater's was 68 yards. I think mine was like 54 yards. <laughs> <laughs> 
68 yards. <laughs> but it was into the wind. I remember the funny, yeah, the funny thing was I remember hitting it well, and it, you know, like I thought I made it. And in that old, old giant stadium there, you know, you got especially from that end, you would you just hit a wall in that wind, and the ball went up and just died. And then that's probably the hardest I've ever got hit in my life because I'm watching Devin Hester run that kick back, and I'm thinking I'm not going to catch him. I have to try to make a tackle right now. And I just kind of he had a wall of defenders, and I put my shoulder down, tried to run through him. I remember Tommy Harris, who's like 295 pounds and, you know, first round pick and it, his eyes just open up when he sees me coming in. He absolutely just demolishes me. You guys don't get paid for that, Jay. You know, you get paid to, to make them, right? Not uh... <laughs> right. Look, is is this kind of a golden age for you guys? You know, Lawrence, Feely, you know, nothing irritates Lawrence more is when I call a field goal a chip shot. You know what I mean? There are no chip shots. There are no chip shots. You try to kick it. Okay, right. I, get, I get that, but <laughs> You watch these games now in 50, 51, 52. I mean, my God, 66. I mean, is this like, you know, power hitters in, in baseball? They hit them 500 feet and these kickers can just make them from 50 plus? Yeah, I mean, I, Lawrence can talk to it as well, but I, I think there's no question that kickers have, have never been better in the history of the NFL. They're getting stronger. They're better athletes. They train more. They've been going to camp since they were kids. You know, when Lawrence and I were coming out, there were no camps, you know. I mean, I, I went all the way through high school to college to the NFL, and I never really had anybody teach me how to kick. I was figuring it out on my own. And now these kids go to a lot of these camps when they start out. My son, you know, is in college kicking now. He's had the same form his entire life. And these kids understand you know, how to compete, understand how to train. You look at a guy like Justin Tucker and he's 91% for his career. That was like a career year for Lawrence and I, for above 90%. You know, and he's doing it every single year. You know, he's making 66 and 61 yard field goals to win games. I mean, you know, he, he's just an anomaly. He, he's, he's, unbelievably spectacular at what he does. He's the best to ever do it, you know, and he does it consistently every single year. Yeah. I, I never even approached the 90 percentile. So I was a low to mid eighties guy. I did not get anywhere near 90% <laughs> field goals, but let's move on to the NFL. I know you've called, you're calling games for CBS. What's kind of the talk around the business about the giants? Like what do people think about this giants football team? Well, you know, I think the New York in general right now, you've had two teams there in the biggest market in the country. You know, you look back at the last three to four years and they've been irrelevant by the end of September. It's just brutal that both of these teams can't figure it out. They can't figure it out at the quarterback position, at the head coach position. You have to find a way to win games that you have to be disciplined. You have to go out there and have a good game plan on offense and defense and special teams, you know, and, and neither of these teams, you know, I did the Jets yesterday and they didn't even threaten to score in their game and they weren't even competitive in their game and I know they have a new coaching staff and I know they have a rookie quarterback and the Giants have gone through the same thing but as a head coach it's your job to figure out a way to make your team competitive it's your job to figure out a way what are the teams that are going to take advantage of the strengths of our players and highlight the strengths of our players and hide the weaknesses of our players to go out there and win games in the NFL because at the end of the day that's all that matters is winning games and you're paid to go out there and win games and it falls on the head coach at the end of the day follow Jay Feely on Twitter at Jay Feely. Jay, me and Lawrence are in lockstep here that the Giants should move on from Jason Garrett. Is it too early or do you think it's time? I, listen, I hate the conversation always of should you fire coaches. Um, I, I don't like to have that conversation. I heard it this morning when I was watching TV and they were talking about Matt Nagy and the Bears, you know, and, and Justin Fields and how it's terrible he played yesterday when you look at the nfl right now and you look at rookie quarterback i think they're one in 11 right now their record so far this year four of them are, are in the bottom of the nfl in nearly every category you know when you look at trevor lawrence and zach wilson and justin fields 
they have not played well when they've had their opportunities. Mac Jones has been a little bit better. You know, he won one game and was competitive in, in the other game. But it's difficult for these young quarterbacks to come in and, and to compete right away. But then on the other hand, you have Justin Herbert who comes in, wasn't even supposed to be the starter, didn't get any starter reps last year, and, and steps in in the second game and then has an unbelievable rookie year and, and looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, so because when you have a guy who competes like that and does that, you see that it can be done, even with the staff that got fired at the end of the year. You know, so that kind of puts the pressure on these young quarterbacks. But I, I kind of avoided your question because I, I hate the question of firing quarterbacks. But I think you have to figure out a way. Like if, you, if you're the, the problem is, who are you going to turn to on that staff right now? If it's not Jason Garrett to call plays, your head coach isn't going to call plays. He's a special teams. Freddie Kitchens, Freddie Kitchens. And that worked well in Cleveland. <laughs> the fact that we're even talking about this three games into the season shows how bad it was. I mean, it was very ugly. The, the feeling at MetLife Stadium was very ugly yesterday, but there was an oasis in this desert, this halftime show for Eli Manning, obviously, uh, Ring of Honor, gets his jersey retired. Um, you know, the only thing that got the fans riled up to really cheer. Jay, you were there very early in Eli's career, right? That first year in 2004, he sat behind Kurt Warner, then he played. He was bad. He won his last game, you know, one in six, I guess, the starter. Then 2005, it's a new year. You come to the Giants. Eli is the starter, the very young starter. Uh, in your two years, what did you see from him? And and when you, when you, you look at that and you saw what he did after with the Giants when you were no longer there and then you see him all the way to yesterday when he's getting his number retired. You know, if I told you that in 2005, what would you have said? Eli was one of the best teammates you could have. Eli was was never going to throw a teammate out of the bus. He was always going to support everybody in that team. He's going to do anything he could to win games. He was going to be prepared. Um, you know, and I did see him at the beginning of his career and certainly not as, as confident of an Eli Manning as you saw, you know, going up against Tom Brady in the Super Bowls and winning those Super Bowls. But, you know, my, my thought when I think about Eli Manning is I felt sorry for him back then because he had a crew of guys that he had to deal with. You know, whether it's Pac Silvera or Jeremy Shockey, you know, if he didn't throw to these guys, they were standing in the middle of the field with their arms out like I was open. You know, there was a lot of personalities on that team. And you, you talk about Michael Strahan and Antonio Pierce and Plaxico and Shockey and Peaky. You know, even even the offensive line with Sean O'Hara and David Deal. I mean, all these guys getting into the media after they're done playing. But he was just, you know, content to be in the shadows then. You know, because there were so many personalities on that team and there were so many outspoken players. And, you know, it was hard enough for Tom Coughlin to try to, to bring everybody together. Um, and it didn't happen when I was there. It happened when Lawrence came. And, you know, that's a credit, I think, to that locker room and to Eli and to Michael Strahan and some of those leaders on that team to be able to, to bring those guys together and to do something special like they did. But, uh, you know, I mean, I was really happy for Eli that he was able to, to go and get that honor. And um, I'm sure there'll be many more honors for him you know, coming soon. Three weeks in, Jay. Give me give me your top three NFC, top three AFC teams. All right. Well, you know, it's funny. You can just go to the almost AFC West and the NFC West because that's where the strength of these of these uh, of these teams are. Let's see. Who do I think is the best team in the NFL right now? It's funny because I still, if you had to, if you told me I had to pick one team that I thought would win the Super Bowl, I'd have a hard time not picking the Chiefs or, or Tampa Bay, uh, even though both of them lost yesterday. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a prisoner of the moment. I don't look at it, you know, and, and, and kind of flip flop like that all the time. You know, but you, you talk about to me the two best teams in the AFC, even though the Raiders are playing great and they're three zero, and the Broncos, who I've done the last two games, are. The Broncos have beat the Jets, they beat the Giants, and they beat the Jaguars. So 
all three of those teams don't don't have a win. You know, so they, they get a big test this week because they go up against Baltimore this week, and now it's kind of a prove-it week for them. I mean, their, their next four games are really tough, and, and, and they're, they have an opportunity to go out there and prove that they're for real. You know, the Raiders have had three great wins. And you'd be hard pressed not to say they're one of the three best teams in the AFC. I'd probably say the Raiders, still the Chiefs, uh, and I'd go with the Bills in the AFC. And, you know, when you look at the NFC, you have to say the Packers to me, uh, the Rams, certainly. Um, the Cardinals are 3-0, but, and, and the Panthers are 3-0. I would trust the Cardinals more than the Panthers, although the Panthers' defense is excellent and, and playing really well. But for me, Sam Darnold has to continue to prove it. You know, we, we saw what he was the first few years of his career and what he wasn't. And he's certainly playing better down there. But I would trust Kyler Murray and, and that offense more than, than Sam Darnold and the Panthers' offense. Jay, you do a terrific job with CBS Sports and, you know, you used to be on the field, you know, analyzing special teams. I'm curious as a kicker when you're trying to figure out the conditions and you're an analyst like do you do the old you know lick your finger put it up in the air do you throw <laughs> throw a piece of grass up into the air how, what's the preparation of trying to explain to us the conditions and and how a kicker is going to fare that day you know it can be a tough situation because really the only time they're bringing me on is when somebody misses <laughs> and so i hate i hate have i hated having to do that you know getting on there talking about a guy missing because i've been in those shoes and i've missed those kicks myself and but you talk to a guy beforehand and you figure out you know how how he's kicking that day i mean i remember doing a game you know and nick folk has played really well the last couple of years but i did a game down in tampa and you know you watch him warm up and gosh he missed 50 percent of his kicks and warm-ups he had just a rough day and then he went out and i think he missed four kicks in that game you know it was just one of those days where you knew the guy didn't have it. You know, I think he was a little bit injured and, uh, you know, trying to play through it. But it's been fun doing that. It's been fun doing that job. And, and it's, it's, you, you get like eight seconds. I mean, Jim Nance throws it down to you. You got to be quick. You don't know when he's going to throw it down to you. And, you know, you try to talk to these special teams coaches. It's something I've tried to do now in the booth is most of the analysts only talk to the offense and defensive coordinator. And every week now I'm asking for that special teams coach um, because I want to talk to him and I want to get his perspective. And I think, you know, even though Joe Judge is struggling there, I think, special teams coaches haven't gotten the opportunity to be head coaches as much as they should have because a lot of times they have more experience standing in front of the team talking to the entire team than any than any assistant on that staff you know and they deal with offensive game planning they deal with defensive game planning they deal with the 53-man roster more than anybody else in the NFL any other assistant coach but so that was one of the reasons I wanted to see Joe Judge do well he got his opportunity they made him a head coach they trusted him and I wanted to see him go in there and, and do a really good job you know that I wanted to see the Giants win as well I love rooting for the teams I played for but that's like a third of the NFL because I played for so many different teams <laughs> yeah if you want to root for the teams you play for right it's uh, each week your head is bobbing up and down a little <laughs> a lot of teams <laughs> um, you know and, and I wanted to ask you played for the Giants and Jets and and you know not a lot of guys have done that is is there a feel you can give us as to what the operations were like what the organization was like in your mind you know you were a giant first so you live that blue life and then you go to the Jets and you live that green life is there a different feel to what goes on I know some teams won some teams lost I get that but is there a different feel to the operations that you can you can clue us into oh absolutely and, and I was I was fortunate that, you know, the teams I was on with both the Giants and the Jets were, were playoff teams. I went to AFC Championship with the Jets. We went to the playoffs both times when I was in New York. So they're a good team. So it wasn't just jaded by, by not winning. But there was certainly almost a, a big brother, little brother feel. You know, where the Giants were the big brother, the Jets were the little brother. There was always a chip on the shoulder of, of the Jets and kind of everyone within that facility. And, you know, it's very corporate in New York and everything was proper. The Jets were, you know, kind of the rebels and certainly not as corporate, you know, even the events that you did, 
you know, were different and had different feels to them. When you, when you did charity events, you did publicity events. Uh, it was, it was just really, really unique. And the funny thing though, and, and I was there before they built a new facility. I mean, the facilities with the Jets compared to the Giants were night and day. And the food that they had with the Jets and the ability to have all the organic food and chefs and all that kind of stuff. And it might be different with the Giants now um, with their new facility. But, uh, you know, that that was certainly different as well. But just the feel, you got a different feel when you're with the Jets. And I, and I think it's just it's part of being in Giant Stadium and playing in Giant Stadium for all those years. You know, and going into the stadium, and it, it still says Giant Stadium on it, even though it's your home stadium. And, and, and that feel permeated the entire organization. Jay Feely does a terrific job on CBS Sports for the NFL. Follow him at Jay Feely on Twitter. Jay, so good to catch up with you, and uh, we'll definitely have you on again this season. Appreciate it. Hey, I just love the fact that uh, we got a kicker running a podcast. That's, That's right, awesome. baby. Anytime. A kicker is in the booth. That's big time. That's right. Let me just jump in and brag on Lawrence a little bit here, too, before we end. Uh, I called up Lawrence last year at the end of the season in the playoffs, and there was a young man who was dying of DIPG. It's a, it's a uh, pediatric brain disorder, cancer. And once you get it, you have uh, no chance to survive. You're going you're gonna to die from it. And it's 100% death rate unfortunately and I had gotten to know this young man and, and they had called me up and he was a huge Chiefs fan uh, I tried to get him to AFC championship when we were doing the game and it didn't work with the Chiefs and so they were in the Super Bowl and I just said you know what I, I want to get him to the game it's his, his dream I knew he had about a month to live or so and I was able to talk to Anthony Sherman who was playing for the Chiefs and I had played with him and room with him when I was with the Cardinals and Anthony was amazing and he, he said Jay I'm going to donate the two tickets to the Super Bowl and I was asking him to help me to go to the Chiefs but he just donated them himself and then I called up Lawrence, and, and the problem was, was that this young man couldn't get on a flight, and he couldn't fly. And I called up Lawrence, and I just said, hey, is there any way that you can help me try to get this young man and his dad to the game in Tampa? And Lawrence was amazing. He jumped right in. He called up to Wheels Up, and, and he got us a plane, and he flew them down to Tampa, to the Super Bowl, and they were able to go to the game and have an amazing weekend together, this father and son. And really, it's the last thing that they were able to do. Literally, like the next week, uh, he, he ended up in the hospital and he was in the hospital until he passed away. And, you know, I talked to his father after the funeral and, and he just talked about how amazing it was to be able to get that opportunity to have with his son before his son died. Um, you know, his son was like 21 years old, 20 years old, somewhere in that range. And, you know, it wouldn't have happened without Lawrence. And Lawrence didn't, didn't bat an eye. He just jumped in and he just did it. He didn't want any credit. He didn't want anybody to say anything about him. But what he did for that dad was amazing. Jay, I really appreciate you saying that. And and the young man we're talking about is his name is Jace Ward. And I still have his bracelet. Yep. I have I have his bracelet on right now, Jay. And I love it. it it's That's amazing. It says, I can't die, I'm busy. And that was Jace's slogan. That's right. And so I, I actually wear his shirt at least twice a week. I can't die, I'm busy. I love that. Kid facing death. Um yeah. family was wonderful. Jace Ward, rest in peace. What a unbelievable young man. And he fought his ass off. Yeah, appreciate you saying thanks, that. Thanks, Yep. Oh, we are all crying in the club right now. Damn, that, that got emotional. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. All right, Jay. Thanks, See Jay. you, bud. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Jay. And that says cheerio to episode 74, the Eric Howard edition of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Give Blue Rush a wee five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. For Paula Schwartz, I'm Lawrence Tynes. We return on Thursday to preview the Giants matchup and the Beg Easy with the Saints. Thanks for listening to Blue Rush, you filthy animals.